So welcome to Brother to Brother Podcast, Episode 4. Thank you for joining us after our hiatus. Our hiatus for what? <laughs> yeah. Season 1. We finished Season 1. Finished season. <laughs> right. uh, We've been doing research, actually. Yeah. Research assignment. Research. Real life research. I was just telling Leanne recently that I think that our lives are a little bit too easy. Mm. So we have, I was thinking, I guess, mainly in relation to our kids, um, that they have everything that they need provided for them. Food, shelter, clothing, like the basic necessities. So they don't ever have to worry. They're never in fear for their safety or that they're not going to have a meal. So that's a good thing, right? <laughs> but yeah, I wonder if we're missing out on something that has been a part of the human experience that that helps us drive and gives us purpose and passion and that we're missing it. Well, there's so much fulfillment when you struggle through something and you complete it. And even if you struggle through something and you fail, but you get to the other side of it. I almost feel like I want to I try things and start trying to do things where I actually, I have a high likelihood of failure and I know it going in and I purposefully say, I'm going to do this anyway. And not that I'm expecting failure. I'm going to try to succeed just to give a challenge and a purpose and to be able to experience that. And so I've kind of, I'm trying to do that with the kids too. So not bailing them out of every little thing and let them, uh, let them try something on their own and maybe not, not succeed at it. Right. Well, that's a, a great way to learn is to go through something and fail at it. To me, when I get to the place where I realize that a failure can, can be spun as a learning experience, it makes the sting of that failure so much less. I just wonder, like, when I think back physiologically and, and how in the Western world, it's, like, unique in history that we're not struggling for food and shelter, that if that's kind of creating the culture that we have, that... We're trying to fill that void with something else. And so we have all this time and we're so busy, but we're not like producing. We're not struggling. We're just consuming. Right. And so, and, and it's not fulfilling. And so that's why I kind of, I was thinking if maybe I could simulate what it would be like to struggle by finding something that's really difficult to do, something new, something that I'm going to fail at and maybe simulate that purpose that humans have had for thousands of years and it would be more fulfilling in that way. Life would be more fulfilling. That makes me um, think that there's probably all sorts of other things connected to that. So when you're talking about raising food and struggling through that, toiling the soil, you're also incorporating a physical component where maybe you're extending your body and you're releasing those endorphins that happen when you exercise. And so that's a part of it too. It does make you think that 200 years ago, you know, when m more people um, were out working the soil and growing their food and that, um, or hunting and gathering, that maybe their lives were potentially more fulfilled on a day-to-day -day basis or maybe in a different right. way. I mean, different. you know, because if you're struggling and you're always hungry, that's not fulfilling. Right. You it's know? stressful. But it does give you purpose. And I think that's something too. Is the, That's what I think we're lacking. A lot of people are lacking. Right. The purpose. 
So if everything's provided for you, what's your purpose? If you're working hard every day for a paycheck, you have a purpose and that's to put food on the table. It makes the times when you aren't stressed and you aren't working hard, it makes those times more sweet. Yes. And you use them properly. Right. So when I, when I brought this whole idea up to Leanne, uh, she said, well, you're, you're making our whole family struggle to survive with this budget you put us on because I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to pay off the house. And then I realized that's exactly right. That's part of what I've done. And it makes going to work and getting my paycheck that much more meaningful because I'm trying to pay down this debt. Yeah. So every dollar that I, that I earn and every hour I spend at work, I see specifically how that's going to be used for this. Yeah. Goal. It means something. Yeah. For this challenge. So you know, I've started kind of doing that naturally. Yeah. And I think that maybe some people are more apt to do that on their own intrinsically. Like there's some people who just constantly push themselves to a new struggle. And then there's some people who, um, more naturally kind of coast. Yeah. Our kids definitely seem to be willing to coast. I mean, we have to make a concerted effort to set boundaries and guidelines and goals and challenges for them and expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's part of hopefully the school experience is that you have teachers who can motivate kids. And it, I mean, at least in my experience, it seems like the majority of students will coast if given the opportunity. So that's a a human nature thing. Yeah. So that's interesting because what is the evolution that built in to humans? (laughs) How does that help you survive? Right. Maybe it's a conserving of energy and conserving of power and brain, you know, so that when you need it, you have it instead of burning yourself up. Don't feel like you need it. So you don't use it. Yeah. You need to create a goal because otherwise you just, will just coast. Right. Right. So when you think of failures and like learning from failures, what's the first incident or thing you think of in your life that you look back on? And you're like, oh man, that that was that was a huge failure. So we're not even talking about homesteading necessarily, but we can incorporate some homesteading component, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So my earliest memories, uh, or I, when I was a child, yeah, I remember one time when I started a new school. It must have been fifth grade. And I think I had been homeschooled fourth grade. So nothing against homeschool, but there's less interaction with, at least in my environment, there's less interaction with peers. So I was still trying to work out this, you know, how do I, how do I handle, you know, all these kids my age? Um, and, but I guess I had gone to school in third grade, so there's not really much of an excuse. I remember one time t- the teacher had left the room and the kids went nuts, right? They're just goofing off, standing on the tables, you know, dancing, doing all kinds of crazy stuff, right? And the teacher comes back and she had heard maybe dad's class on a regular day. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Those were his stories. And the teacher came back and asked, um, you know, she said she had heard a lot of screaming in the hall and she asked like what had happened. And, you know, she was pretty incensed about the whole situation. I guess she had been talking to the principal and it embarrassed her that her class was making such noise. And so I raised my hand and I, I said something like, well, like Philip was standing on the table dancing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and in my mind, I guess Gosh. that was like the thing to do is hey, the teacher asks what happened, you tell them what happened, you know? I didn't right. even think at that time, I mean, that's a, this is a classic, you know, not being socialized, you know, right. for a year and a half. 
and right. and <laughs> coming into a new school, a new environment. And so I tattletailed as a fifth grader right. and man, that like earned me so much shame, you know, <laughs> moving on for the next like couple of weeks. And I realized like, ah, that's not a good thing <laughs> to tell, tell on, you know, the kids in your class for right. doing silly things. Right. So that, that was a, definitely a failure that I learned from like a hard lesson as a kid, you know, with your peers and stuff. How about you? What do you have any young memories like that? Yeah. You're talking about school. The first one I think of was in high school, early high school for me, our um, school did a night at Apollo talent show. And so I don't know if you ever remember watching that TV show, but they would give people the hook and bring them off right. stage if they, if they didn't perform well or if the crowd didn't like them. And so they had set it up like that where the crowd was cheering or booing. And me and a friend of mine, I was going to play piano. And the audition for it, I blew everybody away. Everybody's like, wow, this guy's amazing. I played piano and sang something. So then we did Friends or Friends Forever by uh, Michael W. Smith. Winner. And that was that was not the crowd <laughs> to do that for. All soft. I'm playing on the keys, you know, showing off as best I could. And the guy's like, friends of friends. He gets up there. He starts singing it immediately like first note boom <laughs> <laughs> mom and dad were there oh you guys might have been there i don't know you guys were all in the audience we got like one note they booed us off the stage <laughs> little guy came out with this hook he danced out escorted us off the stage i was like oh my gosh that was horrible and then the next day i go into english class my two best friends are in there and uh I walked in after they were already there. They start booing me. I walk <laughs> in the class. <laughs> Brandon was one of them. I still remember him. It's like, boo. <laughs> That's actually awesome in a way, right? So if you if it hadn't had been such a negative emotional impact on you, I mean, you weren't expecting it. Let's say you had in your head, like, they're, they're probably going to boo me off, but we're going to do this thing and kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. buy into this whole, you know, shtick. Then you could, right. it would have been not a thing, right? Right, right, yeah. But we were really giving it, we right. had our, pouring our heart out. <laughs> and we had like this kind of, it's a crossover Christian song, so we get that message out there and all this stuff. <laughs> we're going to make a difference, you know? Oh, man. Oh, man. That's rough. Pretty bad. I mean, I don't know what I learned from that other than, you know, it, it's, uh, it don't quit. Yeah, right. I and mean, we, we made some pretty good music after that. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. And you've gone on to live a life that includes a lot of music. If you would have left that right there, I mean, think of how um, empty your life would, would be in that way. Yeah, yep. You know, that, that made sure. you give up piano. I, I think that that's a lot, of, a lot of people, right, during adolescence and middle school, high school, they have a neg- negative experience doing something and, and it really puts, it turns them off to that for the rest of their lives. So right. if it's music or, you know, um, the way that we deal with friends, but man, if you think about those as, as learning experiences, as ways to grow, that's the healthy way to look at right. it. You know, I hope I can instill that on my kids. It's okay. You can fail. Failing is not a, not a yep. thing. It's what you do after that matters. Yeah. Who actually impressed me with that was Tim Tebow trying baseball. And they asked him, like, what are you, what are you doing? And he's like, I, I want to play baseball. And what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. I'm not successful. But I want to do it, so I'm going to go do it. And I was like, dang, what? 
Right. <laughs> great, great attitude. Yeah, exactly. So what about with plants or with animals? What kind of fails have you had that stand out? Our very first garden, I wrote about, I guess it was nine or 10 years ago now, we just made some mounds in the middle of the yard and you know tilled it up and then made rows and put tomato plants and pepper plants in there and every single one of them died. And it was be- <laughs> because, of the, because of the, it was on a little bit of a low spot of the yard and so the water would just accumulate there, even though we had it in rows. Right. It would just stay so wet and, and flooded, and they just drowned. Mm. And I, we didn't even know that that was a thing, right? I mean, plants need water. Right. So we didn't, we didn't even know. And so we learned, and since, ever since then, we've been doing um, you know, garden boxes, and it's been great. Just, so get, just getting the plants little, up. Learned a little bit about that. Yeah, get the plants up a little bit higher. And even like if you're in soil where there's a lot of clay and the clay, like uh, one way you can kill a tree is to dig a hole in a clay soil, put the tree in there and then fill it up with dirt. But then the water doesn't have anywhere to go. Right. And so the hole that you dug basically fills up with the water and drown your plant that way too. Yeah. So that that's like the right off the bat, the very first thing that we tried. We're on our fourth garden in this location and I, I look back at the, you know, the previous three and I don't think any of them were quote unquote successful. <laughs> I mean, we've, we've <laughs> right. grown some things, but man, probably that first year was like a 30% return. The second year, maybe 40. Last year, probably 50. I mean, we're like, you know, if we plant 10 squash plants, maybe five of them will be successful or, you know, I mean, that's not even, that's not even true though, because squash grow really well. But if we plant 10 squash plants and 10 potato plants, maybe only the squash grow. (laughs) Right. The garden, man, it's been, we've tried so many different things and so many different things have not worked. The year before last, we flooded ours by making mounds that went Mm -hmm. against the flow of the water. So when it rained, all the water got stuck between the mounds and didn't have anywhere to go. So when it rained a lot, it, it flooded them out. And then last year, what we did was we decided not to do raised rows. And and we're just, you know, direct sow right into the ground. We don't use boxes. We, we do have um, like an herb box that's nice, uh, raised bed. But this time we decided just to make our own rows and plant them flat into the ground. And then we were going to weed by hand throughout the spring and the summer to make sure that, you know, we killed the cycles of weeds so that we could walk through the rows and just have dirt between the rows. Well, what happened right. was... We had pulled up so much of the vegetation between the rows and we had rows that were like four feet apart that when it rained, everything turned to mud and it became like a quicksand. So you walk between the rows and your feet would start sinking down, you know, like six inches into the, the the soil was awesome, but there was nothing holding it together. So because it got so muddy um, and there was like no weeds and grass to soak up any of that stuff between those rows then we flooded out a bunch of plants like that too. <laughs> so, right. Easy. Last year it rained a ton. It though. did rain a lot. But but we realized like look, we could leave, especially if you're going to put, you know, 4 foot 4 feet between your rows, you can leave grass between there. And and toward the end of the summer what we started doing was just compost compost, you know, leaves and stuff like that to to cover up all the weeds that grew directly around the plants and that worked like a champ. Right. I mean, at some point you got to quit failing and actually 
like succeed at something. Yeah. That's yeah. what gets frustrating is when you're like over and over, you're banging your head against some issue and you can't resolve it. We, I gave up. We actually gave up on, um, you know, like, like the broccoli, those types of uh, plants. They're all in the same family, the broccoli, uh, cauliflower, and the Brussels sprouts and the kale. Because they always get chewed up with these cabbage moths and other pests. We can't, can't grow them successfully. We just give up. Well, I think there's really something to that. I think there's something to figuring out what grows really well in your area and then like owning that. So right. if, you, if, you, if tomatoes, like tomatoes do really good here. So we're just, we plant a lot of tomatoes. I mean, it's, it, right. you find a lot of things that you can eat with tomatoes. And, you know, if you think about that back when, when society was more agricultural, you would trade that, right? So you would grow yes. tons and tons of tomatoes and then you'd go trade those for things that grew well in other places. So, and, and think about what we do instead, we being uh, America, I guess, in modern culture, we try to make things grow where they shouldn't really grow. And so then we're, we're, we're basically supplementing and, and poisoning and pesticiding everything to try to get the certain cash crops out of the soil that right. should, maybe shouldn't really be growing where you're trying to grow them. Exactly. So you lose your sustainability. That, that what you said is really sustainable. Mm-hmm. You grow what grows well in your area and your property could be different from somebody five miles away. Yeah, and it is. I mean, we've talked to friends who live close by, and they're you know some things that we grow here really well. They they don't grow, and then sometimes what's nice now is we have such access to so many different varieties. Yes. So we found these little sweet white cucumbers that are amazing, and they grow really well at our house. You know, without even trying, we'll you know pull in pounds and pounds of those cucumbers. What have you found that grows well at your place? Um. The t- tomatoes and peppers are really good. Our blueberries are awesome. Blueberries just like do their thing. I mean, those are the, those are the keys. So uh, the kushaw, which is like an heirloom uh, squash, it grows really well. Oh, nice. The blueberries, we have had no success with blueberries. Yeah, people say they're hard to grow. Now, see, these are ones, this is a variety that we got that was growing in a neighbor's yard in our neighborhood, you know, a block away. So it was set up for success. Yeah, exactly. And they've just been expanding like crazy. I'm hoping the, that's what I'm most concerned about with the process coming up. Yeah. Dude, I was out there. I set my alarm. I was tracking the weather a week or so ago and it's supposed to get down to like 28 overnight. And so I set my alarm for 1230, a little after midnight, checked the weather, looked okay. Set my alarm for 330, woke up, checked the weather. It was looking kind of cold. So I went out there, was like checking on my plants in the middle of the night, <laughs> making sure they're okay. I was like worried about them. The blueberries mostly? Mostly the blueberries. And the peach tree is right in the middle of, of blooming. Oh, man, yeah. The blueberries are just starting. So they, I was researching it. The temperature can get a little bit colder before it actually kills them. Okay. Um, it's, more, it's below 25 but once they start blooming and opening like the peach tree is done, then 28 and 27, 28, you could kill 90% of your fruit. Mm. Faith. I want to talk about demons at some point. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be good because... I don't know. I don't know what I think. 
So yeah, let's 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 do it. Yeah, because this this will be kind of spicy. Yeah. So first of all, I've like thought about writing a book about my experience growing up evangelical because I think some of our perspectives are pretty unique. Mm-hmm. And I have a memory of a time in the Philippines, which you, you probably remember as well. Um, maybe actually you could give me better context to this memory, but we were at someone's house and I remember there. So mom and dad were there. We were playing in another room and they were casting a demon out of a guy in the other room. Do you remember this story? I remember two different stories of this happening. Okay. So this I don't this is the one that is really vivid to me. So I was in first and second grade in the Philippines. So that gives you a little context as as to how I'm able to remember all of these details because it was obviously a traumatic experience to be able to to think back and remember all these things. I remember they were casting out a demon of, of homosexuality. Yep. You remember this? Yes. I'm still, remember, in touch, I'm still in touch with that guy. So, okay. So I remember them praying vehemently with very loud voices, casting this demon out. His dad would get loud. Yes, he was getting loud. You know, kind of this come out in Jesus' name type of, of tone. And I mean, that's I remember, a little known fact about demons. They do have the big pointy ears, but their hearing is suspect. Right. So you have to. <laughs> you need to scream at them. You've really got to get the volume up or else they're not going to hear you. Yeah. And, and so, and then I remember the guy like screaming back. Yes. Different voices that he made different voices. So I remember not only like dad praying and then everyone else praying in tongues around this guy. I assume around. I don't think I remember seeing anything, just hearing but I remember this guy's voice and he's like, no, you know, and yeah. all yeah, sorts yeah. of different voices. Is this, you remember this too? Yep. So, <laughs> so to okay, me, so here, let me, okay. let me finish the story okay. because then it was successful. So I cast a demon out of that guy. He continued in fellowship with mom and dad and with the church for a while. And then he got married. He started a family. He's a missionary now. And married. Right. So what the heck happened? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I was going to say, I'm going to get to what the heck happened in a second. But I think I noticed about, I said heck because... It's <laughs> a little edgy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think back and I, I wonder how we turned out as slightly normal people having gone through things like that as kids, you know? <laughs> Like that's, that's a crazy thing. Like I, my, I have a second grader right now and I wouldn't want her in an environment where there was stuff like that happening because I, I, I'm to the point now where I think that is kind of crazy. Like I don't, you know, I'm not judging people who believe that way. I mean, obviously there's a reason they believe that way, but I'm not there. Right. So what, what could have happened with this guy, right? Could have this just been a psychological thing? Yeah. Could it have been some sort of supernatural warfare? Um, maybe, but I'm I'm like at a place now where I've realized that that you know specifically dealing with homosexuality that people are born all sorts of different ways. So people are born hermaphrodites, you know. So what are we calling them? You know, homosexual, heterosexual, um, and so 
people are born between that in all sorts of, of different ranges in the spectrum. And yet we're able to say that one person should be attracted to a male and one person should be attracted to a female based on what we think their, you know, sex is based on their organs. See, I, I'm just, I think to me that like I've, I've thrown that out right now. The, the idea that homosexuality is a sin Right. Um, and then potentially could have connections to a demon. Right. So that I'm kind of there with that. I don't know. Where are you? This is like a whole new conversation. We could talk about so, homosexuality. So if that guy was a, he was a Christian at the time, I would assume he, he was feeling guilty about whatever his homosexuality, whatever he was dealing with. Right. And so I'm, I'm trying to make an argument for the, the, the prayer and that experience did change him, but maybe it, that doesn't necessarily mean it was a demon. Right. So what he really wanted was to live a heterosexual life. And so that prayer and that time provided that focal point, that fulcrum for him to change, you know? And so there's still a power in that sense, in that experience for him. I think it's interesting how we turned out, so to speak. I think kids bounce back. I mean, there's a lot of psychology now and counseling that deals with kind of digging up issues that happened when you were younger that impact who you are as an adult. Right. But, so it's not that that doesn't happen. I don't want really to discount it. But, I mean, in general, I think kids, humans, man, we bounce back from things. Right. Pretty resilient. Yes, we're just, we're very resilient. It becomes a part of the experience that makes us who we are, but it doesn't crush us. Yeah, and, and ultimately we were, I believe we were surrounded in love. Right. You know, it, whether it was in ways that we show love to our kids now or not, or um, whether or not the belief system within the family unit was the same as what we have now. I, I think that's kind of aside, an aside when you when you look at like the most important thing for a child is for them to be shown unconditional love. Um, and I felt that growing up. So I think maybe that that had something to do with it. So it overrides, right? You know, the, that was right. the foundation was that. It, the foundation wasn't abuse or anything you know, negative. So we had that awesome foundation. So then little things like that, experiences like that could happen and it didn't, it didn't have a major impact. Even then, that wasn't necessarily a negative experience because it could have been scary for us, but it had a positive outcome. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I remember I was pretty terrified at the time. <laughs> yeah. And it got really loud and, and like with some primal screams. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was, it was a thing of like horror movies, you know? And so it happened again in California and the guy... Was we were in staying in the apartment building before we got our house. So it was all six of us in a two-bedroom apartment. And it was like the next apartment over. And so we could still hear him. And the guy, like, he was a big guy. And he was making animal sounds. And they were casting demons out of him the same way. And he was growling, like, inhuman sounds. Yeah. I remember that's the other one that I remember. <laughs> and And I think... I'd have to ask mom uh, if she remembers it, but it, I feel like there was some physical component. Like he he was kind of resisting physically and showing a lot of like uh, aggression, and uh, they prayed it out of him essentially. You know, yeah. The whole the whole spiritual realm to me 
is challenging because using my my reason and intellect, it doesn't make sense and I, I can't accept it. But I've had experiences where on both the positive and the negative, I've sensed good or evil. And I felt it, you know, I've had a tangible feeling of it around me. And so I don't, I can't explain that obviously. And maybe there is some, I know they've done some studies uh, where they've, they've looked at brain waves and they can see certain parts of the brain getting activated uh, or they can actually trigger certain parts of your brain and make you feel God's presence. That's mm-hmm. what it is. They've done that. They've, they've done triggered people's brains and, and they feel a sense of a presence off to their right and behind them or something like that. You know. But is it any less real if it's just in your brain? It's not, it's not any less real. It is real because that's, that's how you experience the world. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so that's where I'm, I'm like, okay with that. (laughs) So I'm big on reasoning out my faith and reasoning out my existence. But then do those forces, do do those forces have an impact on the world around us? That's where, that's the next step. And that's where people, um, Christians and theologians would argue that that is one of the ways you can explain the problem of evil. It's like, well, all this bad stuff happens in the world because there are bad spiritual forces loose in the world. But even if those bad spiritual forces just live within the minds of all those people, is it, are they any less of a force? It's still real. So, so I generally, you know, like 99% don't believe in, in these external supernatural forces that aren't like things that live inside your mind and, you know, are out there, you know, as some entity. With their own will. Their own will, right, to do, like, deeds of good and evil outside of what we, you know, ourselves develop in our minds and communicate with others. And then I'm I'm kind of, like, still up in the air about whether or not, um, you know, there isn't some sort of, like, telepathy that, I don't know how many times Angie and I are laying together and we have, like, the same thought, you know. Right. I don't know, maybe there's some sort of, like vibration thing that's happening. I, I don't know, but what generally you, I'm, I'm what type of new age. Right. <laughs> <I'm a tumble. laughs> you come and visit Edward Casey Institute up here in Virginia. <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, I think, I think there's, there's more, I guess what I'm saying is I think there's more to the mind. There is obviously more to the mind than we understand. Dude, what am I thinking right now? Um, you just thought the number three. <laughs> that was it. That was <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I was thinking that when you look up, your nostrils are huge. That was the same <laughs> thought I had before I said the number three thing. <laughs> no, but what I was going to say is, so Angie, Angie buys more into like the idea of supernatural presence. Right. Like I don't claim to know whether or not there is or isn't. I just generally don't believe that there is. And I, I'm still a Christian. I still believe in God. I, I don't have traditional views of Satan and the devil. But I cannot deny, kind of to your point, this moment when I was living in L.A. and Angie and I were out driving and we stopped like on Ventura Boulevard. It was like an afternoon, sunny afternoon. Um, There's a lot of people out. It was like after work. We stopped at this crosswalk in the car and we were the first car in line. So as people walked, we had a clear view of everyone. And there was a bunch of people that were walking back and forth. And Angie and I were having a conversation. At the same time, both Angie and I, we 
took in a deep breath, like a gasp at the same time. And we looked at each other and both of us knew exactly what had happened. And what had happened was there was this person crossing the street. And I swear to you, she walked like what you would imagine a demon-possessed person would walk like. Her, <laughs> her motions were jerky. Her, her limbs were kind of gangly. She had turned and looked at us in the car. And we had both literally both met both of her eyes with both of our eyes at the same time, some weird way. And as we looked at her, it sent a shudder through both of us at the same time, because this lady, if I were to give you the stereotypical demon possessed look, this right. lady had an otherworldly look. So it was like to her. Walking Dead. It Halloween. was like a Walking Dead, and it was in the middle of the day. There was no reason to be scared. There was no reason to have like a moment when both of us like shuddered and and gasped, you know. And 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 to this day, like I'll mention it to her. She'll she'll tell you the same exact story, you know, that we had this shared experience at the same exact moment, and and both of us at that point, we said. That lady's demon possessed. Right. It was crazy. So I have a similar like experience to you as as like some unexplainable, you know, I'm, I'm it's probably not unexplainable, but to me it was very real that this lady was demon possessed. You know, and and <laughs> so so I am like a supernatural denier when it comes to <laughs> supernatural things that interact with the world or or if there is even an existence, but except I can't for this deny, one like, lady. That moment that happened, so so that kind of gives me pause. Like, man, I get it. You know, right. I get it if people are casting demons out. I get it if, you know, people are really bought into that supernatural world because that moment was was very freaky <laughs> and very real. It is interesting how, though, I think Christianity has changed, and, and you and I have changed, obviously, where we're not viewing homosexuality as a demon possession issue. I mean, I guess there's still some hardcore evangelicals that would, would believe that. Right. Kind of circling back on that, you know, maybe there is a shift, but it's just gradual in Christian culture, uh, away from assigning, uh, you know, demonic possession to everything that we see. I sense that. Yeah. We have progressed and, and gotten, um, more progressive, you know, I have big time in my belief system, but then, man, I live in a fairly rural part of North Carolina, and the majority of the people that I'm surrounded by on a daily basis are not. They're very conservative. You know, they're conservative Christians, and they're conservative politically. So, I mean, in one sense, you could say, well, what's the harm of believing in, in demons or believing that, that, or praying for people in that way, like the stories that we told from when we were younger? But... If, if that's not true, and then you're taking somebody who who believes that God loves them and they are homosexual, and you're trying to cast demons out of them, and that's not true, and that's not right, they're not possessed, then how are you showing Christ's love to that person? That's, right. I mean, it can be damaging, right? And that's, I think... Very much so. Yeah, I think a lot of people have, and even with physical ailments, where... Somebody comes in deaf or some type of physical ailment, and people are praying for them to be healed, and and they would say, "This is who I am. Yes. I don't need or even want your healing." You know, it's like we we devalue people by um, 
assuming there's demon possession, or there's some way that they need to be fixed. Right. So it is, it can be on the one hand, it's like, well, people can kind of believe what they want to believe, but then when they take those beliefs and start acting on them in a way that devalues other people, then it can be negative. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's what I was trying to say earlier is that I don't know whether or not, you know, there is a supernatural realm in the way that many Christians believe there is, but I definitely do not support the putting of your belief system into practice in a way that infringes on other people's rights and quality of life and um, in a way that's detrimental and harmful to others. I think that's, that's evil. You know, I mean, you're talking about the homosexual who that's how they identify themselves and they believe that they're loved. And then you're coming to them and you're saying, no, actually the way that a core part of who you think you are is actually Satan and and demons. I mean, yeah, that's brutal. and, And then we wonder why, you know, the LGBTQ community, you know, has such anger and and resentment toward Christianity when that's been our stance, you know. So how many escape rooms have you done at this point? We've done two over the holidays. It's fun. It is fun. I mean, we went to two as well. We did one down in Charlotte, but it was just Angie and I and then her brother and sister-in-law with another group of of college students. And then we did one with the family that was just the us after that. And and definitely the second experience with people that we knew was so much better. I don't think that would be fun with some people you don't know. I don't like people I don't know in general. <laughs> yeah, that is a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's not <laughs> well, and it didn't help that they were escape room veterans. So they knew all the tricks. Right. And we went in there as novices and didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. They went in there and just flipped everything upside down. And started looking for and numbers we, and whatever. Looking for numbers, piecing stuff together. They had the bed, you know, the bed they tore it apart, the baseboards in the bed they had them flipped over and they were like you know assembling some secret code from that thing and that was more like a we drunken were, party than a it, it was man it was, it was crazy it was crazy and we just stood there like in the room just kind of dumbstruck like what's going on the idea is is you can work together as a team to solve the the clues and get out so it's like a team building bonding type of experience not it's it's not like you're in it to win it as fast as you can so you kind of have to go i think you got to go in to really be able to enjoy it the way you should you got to go in and and go with some people you know and, and say we're going to use this as an experience to hang out and just have fun i mean the one that we did with you guys leanne and i we left for like did we add anything to that it's like we <laughs> like, leanne was like well i held this one thing you know Right. We're trying to think of what we did. Like, I don't know. I feel like everybody yeah. else everybody else was solving everything and we were just kinda like running around trying to help, but not really like having that big Eureka moment. Right. But yeah. it's still a blast. It was totally Yeah, yeah. Well, and maybe that's what it was too, was that our our first experience we felt the same way. And then when we had warmed up to what the process was, 
um, it was much more re- rewarding because we were looking at at things a little differently. Right. I mean, so so the idea, right? And I, and I think the one you did was similar to this, right? You had an hour or a set amount of time. They send you into a room that's got all these props in it, basically, with keys and locks and combinations that you have to unlock in sequence to get to the final clue that allows you to open the door, basically, to get out. So that's the whole idea. And so, like, I was thinking it would involve a little bit more, like, knowledge about facts. Like, we were kind of in an art museum. I thought we would need some history and art knowledge. But you really didn't. It was more about sleuthing and finding the numbers and which combinations to apply them to type of a thing. Exactly. Well, and I thought going into it that it was going to be more of a like haunted type of environment. Like I didn't realize that there were, you know, all sorts of themes, that it wasn't just like a horror movie where things were you know, jumping out at you and stuff. Like, I don't know. I, I just imagine the escape room. I wonder if there are room. ones like that, though. Right. I'm sure there are. Um, but neither of the ones that we did were, you know, horror-themed. Um, and then I was kind of impressed with the storylines. So both the ones that we went to, um, it wasn't just like, hey, try to find your way out of this room. They set it up with a story. Yeah, I, I think it's a good idea. And they're popping up all over the place. There's like three or four different ones in our area. Yeah, and the other thing that's cool too when, is when are they going to make a Christian one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. find Jesus at the end or something. <laughs> and 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 the, it's empty though the tomb. <laughs> that's so disappointing, that's man. We catch. thought we were going to find him. Yeah. <laughs> that's the big reveal. <laughs> yeah. So I think this the the one we went to with you guys there was three different rooms. So it was like open a door, open a door. Um, it wasn't just like you pop in a room and you try to get out, right? which was cool. Yeah. Open a door, open a door, roll away the stone. And then <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stuff. Man, uh, there could be all sorts of cool Christian ones, man. Like, uh, yeah, but would they be cool? That's <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> no, no, that's my point. That's my point. There'd be really cool. Like the 10 plagues or something. Pestilence. B- Grasshoppers. Blood, wa- water into blood, locusts. Dude, you could do a po- apocalyptic. I mean, every story oh, in the yeah. Bible. Left take. behind. Because <laughs> that's really scriptural. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the movies did so well. <laughs> it did so well, they had to make another one. Right. <laughs> no. That's so ridiculous. That just goes to show that it actually did better than we could probably imagine. Did, did you, you see know? either of them? No, did you? No, I did not. So no. Christian escape room at a church. It's it's similar to like they do the like the horror things, right? What do they call those? The the harvest you know, scare the harvest? scare the hell out of you type places. <laughs> no. You know what I'm talking no, about? I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, like they do at the a church. If, yeah, for Halloween. I'll scare the hell hell out of you. I can't even yes. say the word. I'm so unused yeah. to cursing. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to bleep it out for Leanne. <laughs> no, but <laughs> No, but but yeah, there's these huge. Oh man, there's a name for them. Scare, scare. It's like a Halloween thing that a church does. Yeah, they like do them on Halloween. Maze you know? equivalent. Yes, but the churches do them, and the whole point is to like, like literally get try to get people saved, like through scaring them. What? I guess actually that has a rich history in Christendom. Yeah, where you fight the fire and brimstone preachers, you try to scare somebody 
That's not, that's really a poor way to convert somebody. Right. Well, isn't it? Fear as a motivator. I mean, yeah, it doesn't seem to be the best. It's not like something that's going to stick. Have you ever been in like one of those legit haunted mazes at a amusement park or something? Like the five pumpkin scary one? Like on Ellen, like when Ellen takes her producer through it. Have you seen that YouTube clip? Yes. 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 And if you go with somebody like that guy, it makes it way more intense. Right. Because they're jumping around and screaming all the time. It makes it tough. So I was taking the Let's take the kids into one at Bush Gardens. And I want to say it was like, so they do, they have a five, I think it's pumpkins. It was a three or a four. And so it was age appropriate for them. And so we're walking in line and then coming out, there's this mom and a girl that's like 11 or 12 and she's just bawling. Oh, <laughs> so, yes. so we're just like, uh, kids like, I don't want to go on this. Like, All right. I don't want to go on it either. <laughs> I think that's good, man. Good. I mean, did we did we wrap up our conversation on escape rooms? Yeah, probably at gonna, some point. We're gonna do one at our, our oh, church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I think, man, that that time of like recreating everything in popular culture with something Christian. I think that's passe at this point. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, it. I it, think in, it is amongst us, but there's still right. people doing it. You know. Older generation, yeah. and there's still a subculture for it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I feel like the '90s though was the height of it. Dude, it was the peak. All the shirts. Yes. Yeah. The knockoff shirts and the knockoff Bibleopoly. Yes. The knockoff games. <laughs> dude, my, we should do a whole segment. Dude, my favorite <laughs> it was working at Heaven and Earth. We saw them all the time, but it was the uh, the breath mints. They're testaments. Oh. <laughs> that's so clever oh you know what that reminds me of is um have you read the new relevant did you get that i haven't, I haven't seen it yet it's really good oh the it's new, actually uh um, design and the new kind of focus yes I haven't seen it. yeah the the whole magazine was like the most compelling magazine i've you know seen from them ever they do these short little articles now, like little paragraph articles. And I'm just like, I love this. Yeah. <laughs> like that's my attention span right, right there. But they had a really funny page on like just what we're talking about on Amazon. Right. Like these, these different products that are like, you know, Christian themed. Right. And one of them is a grilled cheese press right. that presses a picture of Jesus as you cook your grilled cheese. And they called it grilled cheeses. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I actually want that. If they made if they made that ironically, that's really well done. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh man. But I think actually those testaments were in there. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well they're still around, yeah. man. So they're still around. <laughs> they're still going strong. Product. <laughs> yeah. Well thought out. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more about us or connecting with us, you can follow us on Facebook at Brother to Brother Podcast. 